All right, so my guest today was Josh. Uh, Josh is an author. He's a PhD on morality and, and decision-making. He's an SEO, AI expert. Um, he's a lot of different things. But he started the show by talking about the concept of agathos and how he is a radical optimist. Now, agathos is a Greek word for those not familiar, and, and it actually has a lot of meanings, meanings, but Plato most famously used it to mean, quote unquote, the good. And by the good, he meant the ideal or the most optimal good that exists. So when Josh says that he values agathos or that he's a radical optimist, he means that quite literally. He means there's nothing more important, nothing more logical, nothing more obvious than focusing on the ideal good. And that's kind of an interesting concept when you think about it, right? Because I think typically people process that one of two ways. The first is to generally agree with it and, and to view it as obvious, as Josh says. Like, of course, of course we all want the best possible good. What else would we want? The other way, though, is to be maybe a little more cynical and to focus on the fact that it sounds nice, but if we have no idea what the best possible good actually means, then it's not actually practically useful for us. And for those that listen to the show, you know, I, I tend to take the second approach in all things because I just think it's more useful. So we spent a good bit of time on the show trying to understand, question, and test what Josh actually meant by that. Much of the discussion centered around that subjectivity point around this concept, right? Like who decides what, what is the ideal good? What time horizon are we using to evaluate if something is good? What if something's good for one person but bad for another? Now, I won't do Josh justice in explaining his responses to these questions here, so I'll let you listen and decide what you think. But to give you kind of a flavor for it, maybe the most interesting or intriguing insight was when Josh responded to that subjective versus objective point. Because he views it as kind of like a blending of these two concepts, where the way we identify the quote-unquote objective good or ideal good, the agathos, is based on looking subjectively at all the information, the data, the trends, the human experiences, etc., as exhaustively as we can, and then making the best decision we can in that moment. It's kind of like a subjective objectivity, which is weird even for my mind to say, and it, it feels incompatible, but at the same time, it feels like, well, maybe that is the closest we as humans can come to objectivity. Um, so really interesting to, to think about and, and to work through. The other thing I'd say that stood out in this episode was how confident, or, or dare I even say certain, Josh was in his perspective. So obviously I asked him about that too. Like if it worried him at all, how confident he was, about how sure he was that he had this unique ability to see the world more accurate, accurately than so many other people. You know, certainty is always something that's gonna concern me, but, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it takes people like Josh who are that confident or that certain to push us to reach outcomes that would have otherwise been impossible. Or maybe we're all just a bunch of apes trying to make sense of something that's unexplainable. I don't know. Again, I'll let you guys decide. But a big thanks to Josh for being on and sharing his really interesting perspective. All right, Josh, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you making the time and psyched to talk to you today. Um, I like to get right into it. So I will with that first question of what's the value that's most important to you. So that's such a beautiful question, uh, Terry. Um, it is the primary question. It's the most, it's, it's the most philosophical question. Uh, and I've spent a very, very long time of my life considering that. Mm. Uh, because uh, as we were talking in the pre-interview, there, there is no more important question than the root question. And in all the paths you travel in life, in all the roads you go down, you always come back to the why. Mm. Why am I doing this? What is the purpose? What is the value? Mm. Uh, and many philosophers have talked about this, uh, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Uh, many philosophers have talked about this from both the East in terms of Confucius, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the author of the Tao Te Ching, uh, 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 and uh, all the way through the, through, uh, uh, Ara uh, uh, the Arabian Peninsula, uh, such as Al-Farabi or Al-Ghazali, coming all the way to the West, uh, definitely with Plato. Uh, Buddha, of course, I forgot in the East as well. That's the one uh, that's the standard I didn't mention. And it all comes down to this concept. Now, I like to use the Greek word for the concept. It's called agathos. Mm. Agathos is often translated. It's the root of the word uh, of the name agatha. Uh, and it's often translated into the good, capital T, capital G, the good. And so if you ask me, what is the value? The value is value. Mm. Value is capital V value. Mm. Value is this objective living thing that we're all seeking and that you can uh, abstract out in intersubjective uh, uh, calculation, uh, not of the society, not of the community, as some kind of abstraction, as if it's living, 
but you can take the, the needs, the, the, the wishes, uh, the, the life goals, the intrinsic values of every person involved, and you can understand the good as a living objective concept. And this is what I've sought my entire life to understand because it does underpin, and you're completely right. Again, the pre-interview, you said everybody kind of operates from their, their implicit value. The only question, what is it? And you are completely and totally right from a scientific perspective, from a philosophical perspective, that's what we do. And so for me, what is the value? The value is value, capital V, writ large. Uh, let me give you an example of where seeking enlightenment in the Buddhist sense, uh, which is also seeking the good in the platonic sense, completely merge under the same thing. Let me give you an example of, of what that ends up looking like. So I am a radical optimist. You, you, we've, we've all heard of this, uh, you know, the pessimist optimist concept in, 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 in our, our, our current zeitgeist and our current, uh, the Greek word for zeitgeist is politeia, our current prevailing political, social political opinions. Well, I say pessimism is not only a foolish thing to be or to think, it's literally wrong. Mm. It is literally logically wrong. It is philosophically wrong. It is morally wrong to be a pessimist. Mm. The only option is value. The only option is maximal context. We all choose what context to put our day in. Like when, when we started, you, you said, I hope you're having a good day. I was like, well, I, was, I, was, I wasn't contextualizing well. Right. I'm not practicing what I preach quite yet, mm. which is which we should talk about later, uh, how, how difficult this journey is to stay on that high moral road. There's nothing harder than staying on the high moral road. Right. Tell me. It is it is a razor's edge that if you to, to quote uh, to quote the elf from Lord of the Rings, if you tarry uh, just a bit on either side, you will fall. Right. Yes. It is a razor's edge. And so uh, I fully hand, hold up my hand and I fully admit that I'm not able to fully do it yet in practice, but I know for a fact, philosophically, it is the thing to do. And I know what the procedure is. I just, that's that third component of living it. Hmm. I know what enlightenment is. I know how to get it. I'm just not quite enlightened yet. Because can I'm- you, Can you, Josh, just jump in there? Like, so we're speaking philosophically, which is beautiful, right? As I said, please. that's the way to go. And, and, a, and a big tenant of- Many philosophers is, I mean, we're talking about Plato, we're talking about different folks, Socrates, obviously, is this idea of not ever being certain, not ever knowing. Mm. When we talk about things like it, and I and I think I hear you and I'm with you of like, it is logically, philosophically wrong. I know what it is. Make the case for me on that. Like, and for people listening to make it real, like, what is it that tells you that optimistic approach versus the pessimistic? What lets you know that it is obviously the right approach versus pessimistic being the wrong? Beautiful question. So- I know this theoretically because because of the concept of value. So it all comes down to the contextualization. So like I say, when I was coming in today, uh, 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 it's all about how we contextualize everything. From a psychological perspective, all therapy is, is an adult giving the inner child of the limbic system, the amygdala, which doesn't change, right? Your amygdalic system, your reptilian brain and your mammalian brain, that amygdalic system in the reptilian brain does not physically change from a certain age on. You are effectively a child. Mm. You effectively have a child in your head. All the things that you had as a child that made you have temper tantrums and cry and mm. not contextualize the events that happened to you in the most optimal, ideal, uh, healthy way uh, are still with us throughout the entirety of our lives. And so all therapy is uh, and I'm a trained hypnotherapist. I'm a trained psychologist. I could be a clinical psychologist. I could be a therapist right now if I wanted to be. I just, I just don't have the, I just don't have the, the, the hotspot. I just don't have the, 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 the. Uh, I'm so emotionally contagious. If you told me about something terrible that happened to you, I'd be able to cry with you. Like, oh, it's terrible, man. I'm sorry. Like, I can't do that job. I don't know how people do that job, right? Like, hats off to those people who could do that. Yeah. It's a little minorly sociopathic or something about it. It's not really normal if you could sit there and hear everyone's stuff like that all the time. Mm. But um, all therapy is, is contextualizing the events that have happened to you and that are happening to you now, mm -hmm. the way the loving adult should have done for you at the time. Mm. And in fact, in some of those cases, shouldn't have been the adult causing it. Mm. That's, that's my theory of, 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 of therapy. That's it. And so, it all comes down to contextualizations. How are you going to contextualize this? Oh, you fell down, scraped your knee. 
The child looks up and is, is like, as if to say, should I be upset about this? Am I supposed to cry about this? No, no one's caring. Okay. And they just keep going. They don't care. Right. Cause so that's a good contextualization. Like there's no reason to make a big deal out of this. There's no reason to be a pessimist. There's no reason to be negative. There's no reason to make a big deal out of everything. We, we add evil into the world. We make evil when we call it evil. We make it, we make it bad. We make the world worse when we judge things are bad. Now, don't get me wrong. Some things will be very difficult not to judge bad. And that is not saying that I'm in any form of pacifist or that I would be like, oh, well, you cut off my arm. Okay, well, you know, I'm not going to take any actions to stop you or prevent it or mitigate this. I'm not saying any of those things at all. I'm not saying people who do bad things get off, off the hook either. I'm not saying any of those things. But just from the psychological perspective, what I'm saying is that we make evil in the world. It doesn't exist. The Can universe... I ask on that, Josh, just on that point? Is, is the sure. point there that when, when quote unquote bad things happen or things that we would typically make evil, as you yes. said, not that you're saying those things don't cause suffering, they don't cause harm, that they're not something we should try and avoid or whatever, is the optimistic viewpoint to say, is it like in the vein of like, there's no point harping on it. There's no point like just being upset about it. That thing happened. Now, what do we do about it? In a very pragmatic, logical way, the optimism is very much rooted in what can I do to make this better versus harping on the negative? Is that kind of where we're going? That is that is that is 95% exactly okay. what I'm saying. And practically, that's kind of how it ends up. The other 5% is I even go further. I'm a radical optimist where I say, look, at it's a choice. And now, I'm, again, I'm not saying those bad people are off the hook. I'm not saying they get to do whatever they want. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be proactive, right? But I am saying it's a choice. You make a choice to say you're hurt. You make a choice to say that was bad. You make a choice to say this was a travesty. And quite often in this society, we choose, in fact, that on 11. We dial it up to 11, right? Which is the exact wrong thing to do in every sense of the word, every sense of the word. In in the agathaic system, we, we we do not in any way allow badness or negativity to happen. In fact, we maximally try to avoid it proactively first. Mm. And then in this in situ, when it happens, exactly like you said, like, okay, this thing happened. This was a challenge. And I hate that the only corollary I have in common society is kind of a sales technique, where if if you're if you're uh you know, if, if, if your prospect brings up a cha- uh, brings up a problem, you're, you're supposed to rephrase it as a challenge. Yeah. I hate that it's salesmen who are doing this currently, but they're right. Like extract all the sleazy salesness out of it. They're right. We should never call it a problem. And I, I fully held my hand up as I admitted. I'm not there emotionally, psychologically yet. I was physically beaten as a child. Mm. I was abused as a child. I was, I was emotionally abused. Uh, I was undiagnosed autistic, trying to blend in with neurotypicals. I just can't do it. They knew I was weird. They knew I was a geek. They knew I was different. They could smell it off me from a mile away. I could never fit in. My mom dressing me with bow ties didn't help. <laughs> and the, the freckles and the red hair didn't help, right? <laughs> uh, until I started taking martial arts around 15 years old. Now I have three black belts. I've been doing it for 30 years and no one picks on me now. Now that, that I know everything to do about it, like no one picks <laughs> on me anymore, you know? So, which is fine. That's good. I don't want to get into fights, you know? Yeah. You, know, you, know you know what doing martial arts for 30 years taught me? Don't, don't get into fights. Fight. Yeah. You train <laughs> martial arts so you don't have to fight. That's exactly. What I, that's yeah, I precisely. I mean, because yeah. even if you win, it's a lose-lose scenario. Yes. You sweat and blood all over your shirts ripped. <laughs> You're explaining to the police why this guy has his arm broken. or And that's the best case scenario, yeah. right? So don't get in fights. Just, just don't. Uh, and every single fight after that, I've been able to talk my way out. I've been like, con- you know, conflict resolution. And mm. one time a guy went to punch me. I, I hit him in the shoulder first. Like he went to do a right cross and I hit him here first. So the punch was, like, was extinguished. I said, don't. And he, and he didn't. So I was like, yeah. I was like oh, they okay, see I- that confidence, right? There's a confidence to you that allows you to be level-headed in that moment, which I think yeah. makes all the difference. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I want to say I'm, I'm in, I, I am a pacifist in the sense that yes, of course, peace is better because it makes more joy, but but if someone is going to punch me, I will hit them first, harder, faster. In C, and also I did that in his shoulder. I didn't do any permanent damage mm-hmm. to him either. That's how I calculated the good mm-hmm. in that situation. I was like, this is the optimal ideal thing to do. This far, no further, to quote the Picard, right? So, so again, when I, when I say this radical optimism thing, a lot of people are like, oh, you're, just kind of giving, you're giving the bad guys, a, you're just letting them do anything to anyone. I'm like, no, oh, no, no. But the exact opposite is what we're doing. But when it comes to the radical optimism, which is the part you wanted to dive in on, mm-hmm. which is 
I'm super happy to talk about that, right? Because uh, I'm supposed to be super happy. I'm supposed to be radically <laughs> optimal. Uh, I'm supposed to seek the radical optimal and be radically uh, optimist about it. Uh, uh, that's more what I'm talking about there. And 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 you also brought up the Socratic uh, uh, dictum of all I know is that I don't know mm -hmm. anything. That's one way it's translated. Another way you could translate it is the vacillation of of having to learn new scenarios. Uh, Socrates was often ironic. He knew very well a lot of things and he knew he knew a lot of things, right? Uh, but he knew that philosophy had to remain open-minded, so to speak. Yeah. And he knew that the wise person had to remain open-minded. The enlightened person, to put it in a Buddhist sense, has to remain open-minded to, to new possibilities. They have to remain radically hopeful. They have to remain, they have to hope for the best, not even the best. They have to hope for the radical optimal, the, the absolutely maximal best. And, 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 and hopefully meditate in the Eastern and Western sense uh, and configure our souls and personalities in such a way that, that we're like, it doesn't matter what's happening to us. We're, we're good. It's always good. We're always good. It can be always good. We are always good. In every sense of the word good, in terms of morally, in terms of practically, in terms of we're good at what we do, in terms of we're enjoying it, it feels good, in terms of we're good morally. That word, there's no separation. Another thing we realize when we start looking at the true agathos, the true philosophy of value, is that there's no separation of it. There is no practical good versus moral good versus feeling good. If so, you're doing it wrong, mm. right? Everyone should be a radical hedonist. Mm. It's just that all the hedonists do it wrong, as Plato said, because they look for short-term pleasures that have long-term uh, uh, worse effects. So, so inevitably there's somebody listening and, and maybe that somebody's me, but if not, maybe there's somebody listening who's saying, all right, I get that. I understand the logical breakdown of that. I understand the case you're making. The open question is still, what, what is the good? Like, what is that, that we're seeing? Like what, put that in words different than the good, if possible, if it can sure. even be put into words. Cause one of the things I find is that sometimes words fail us in this, but I think where people struggle with this the most is it's still too abstract for them. Like, is that interpretation of what good means? Like I hear you're saying, no, there is only one good, but how do I know what that looks like? How do I know what that is? That's a great question. The Tao that can be spoken of is not the eternal Tao. The way that can be weighed is not the, is not the way, which is another way of, 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 of uh, translating that sentence, right? Because Tao, the, the Chinese word Tao can mean way, as a path, method, road. It's also a sword, mm. right? Think of how, what kind of semantic connotation do you need for all those, for, <laughs> for the, for the synonym bridge of all those words, right? It is praxis. It's Aristotle's praxis. It's theory and practice put together. So what is agathos? What is the good? It is the abstract concept of goodness. It is optimality. The closest, the closest English word is the word ideal. Hmm. It is ideal. For, and we all know what this is implicitly. No one has to ask. You already know what it is, right? For example, when your friend is sleeping over and you have only a couch for them to sleep on or an air mattress, you say, I know it's not ideal, but. Mm. Now, what did that sentence mean? Something you knew exactly something better. Exactly. You knew exactly what I meant when I said it. We all know what the ideal is. It is the maximal good. It is the absolute maximal radical abstract good that could be possibly attained both theoretically in its infiniteness and both practically in its sadly quite finiteness mm -hmm. but we try to maximize it and we already know to seek it mm -hmm. why did Inherently. i say i know it's not ideal but because i already know it's ideal to seek the ideal yes instinctually inherently implicit in us being here that's all we seek and yeah. logically, psychologically, Logical. yes yeah. all we seek is value what we conceive value to be in every sense of the part of the brain and uh, logically, philosophically, this is the proof. It's ideal to seek the ideal. It's more bad to make more bad. It's more yeah. trouble to make more trouble. Yeah. It's it's more good to make more good. Uh, do you do you allow swearing on your on your podcast? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so this is this gets across the the the, the worst part of it. Uh, it it's like what you want to make things more shitty. Like like, no one wants to make it more shitty. No, <laughs> right? It's Inherent, a closed yeah. system. The only the only thing in English that we get wrong is that we think it's an open system and that we could do evil forever and it'll never come back to harm us. A, we're wrong in that you can separate goodnesses out of it. You can't. It, it is an intersubjective concept. It's not a subjective concept. So I can't say I'm doing good when I'm hurting someone else because that's negative. Mm 
I can't say I'm adding positive when I'm adding negative. I just contradicted myself. Mm. You can do it all you want, but you're lying to yourself, right? And you're lying to yourself practically that's never going to come back to hurt you. You just don't know that. You don't have the evidence to support that claim, mm. right? It is a closed system. If we make more bad, we are making more bad, and that would be more bad. Uh, and this is very important. Morality needs no other justifications, can broach no other justifications, has no other justifications, does not desire any other justifications than that simple thing. It is more good when you make more good and it's more bad when you make more bad. That is it. That's the moral truth we've been seeking for 5,000 years. I found it. Plato found it actually. I just dusted it off and showed it back to everybody. Buddha found it actually. Buddha and Plato are saying the same thing. And probably somebody all saying the same thing. Write it down. Is there a macro, is there a macro micro component to it though? By that I mean like, um, let me think of how I want to word this. Like, sure. The, the 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 optimal good at a macro level, mm-hmm. at, at the macro level, may include some people feeling bad, right? Like, it's impossible, possible, impossible, so impossible. And that's, that's a contradiction. It's, it's objectively good, right? Yes, it's not utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is a failure of morality because okay. they say it is morally right. And they claim that's self-evident. It's not. First mistake. They say it's morally right for the majority to be pleased, even if the minority has to suffer. Okay. That That is logically wrong. It's not self-evident. That's what they try to base all morality on in academia. And that's why they're all wrong. And they always will be wrong because they're trying to make something self-evident that is not. More good is more good is self-evident. That is a truism. But it's the only truism, and only a truism can be self-evident. But it's the only truism that actually has content in that, yeah, it'll feel more good when you make more good. And the more gooder you make it, the more gooder it'll feel. Right. right. Let's use an example. Maybe maybe it's not a good example. So pick it apart if need be and pick a better one. But sure. the one that comes to mind is I have a son. He's nine years old. Um, let's put aside anybody's we're past COVID somewhat. So hopefully this isn't as inflammatory. But mm. if I give him a vaccination, whatever vaccine, the measles vaccine, chicken pox vaccine. Yeah. Arguably, there is some bad that is produced in that pain in his arm when he gets the shot. Maybe he even cries. But I there's see. the sensation of there's a greater good to it. Therefore, that is the that is the right action. That is the optimal action to take. Let's assume it is. Maybe. How does that play into this? That there's some quote unquote bad being created in that scenario, but there's still good. That's a that's the perfect question. So, uh, if the science says that, uh, if the established science says that that uh, uh, medical procedure is going to produce. Uh, 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 more good for the duration, then, 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 yeah, do it. Unless there's something the science says is better to do. Sure. Let's assume it is. Let's assume it's known to be yeah. that is the best. Option. And right, like what else can you do about measles? Yeah. You got to, you got to inoculate, right? You got to do something like that. Uh, and it would be worse not to inoculate, not only for him or, or you said to his son, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not only for him and that he's going to catch the measles and everyone around him will catch the measles. Uh, it, it, it would. Uh, uh, the evidence says that would be worse. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, also implicit in that question was how do you adjudicate short term pain and long term gain? It's exactly how you do it. So as long as it's if it doesn't cause any memorable pain at the end, uh, uh, if you're not risking any memorable pain at the end for the individual, then that would be the optimal thing to do. So far as the evidence suggests that it is. Um, And you're taking the maximum amount of safe time to adjudicate said evidence. So that's the second component. That's where that gets interesting, because if we extrapolate that out to the macro, right, to, I think yes. that phrase you just said is so important and, and interesting of like, um, if 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 that pain, I, I want to say it the way you just said it, but I can't remember, but it, it also I'll rephrase it, but correct me. If that pain is worth it is almost the concept, right? If that pain is justified exactly. to create exactly. the optimal good. If you look at that on a macro level, right? Let's get let's get ugly. Let's get dark. So let's get into it. Right. Sure. What if somebody were to say slavery? or the Holocaust, as horrible sure. as it was yeah. on the macro scale of the universe and humanity, mm-hmm. just like that shot, that was a worthy negative or bad because it's going to result in the optimal good. A, is that does that work? Is that what we're saying? And B, if it is, are we okay with that? Like, is that an acceptance that that could still be the optimal good? Um, the, the answer is uh, uh, luckily no, because okay. there's absolutely no way that those terrible actions could could ever make things better later on it would be far too risky to try right this is why we cannot just grab people and strap them down on a table and feed them happy pills they will say they're deliriously happy because we fed them happy pills Mm -hmm. but we we that risk to do so was not justified Mm. this is still a travesty right 
because we say what's good or bad and we cannot force them to make a judgment it's good or bad you can you can hope they like your souffle as much as you as you want it doesn't mean they're going to actually judge it's tasty and it's good and they like it and therefore it, it was optimal for them to have it uh, and that's not even the duration that's that's when they're tasting it but then it whatever rotted their teeth and later on they regret having it you gotta you gotta factor the duration into that as well yeah. so so no it's just lucky that it works out that you cannot risk terrible travesties or even minor travesties. You can't risk any negativity because any form of negativity at all pollutes the goodness entirely. If one person is harmed by making a freeway that serves a million people, we did we harmed one person and we did something unethical. How's that reconciled back to the vaccine situation? Where I know it's a very different level of negative. Uh, because it only hurt them for a moment and they, mm. they cried for five minutes and then they forgot about it and didn't even care. Mm. And, and the evidence would suggest that we could predict that's exactly what would happen. Yes. Now, in the Holocaust scenario, in the slavery scenario, we cannot in any way, the evidence cannot in any way predict that would make anything better in any way, shape or form, especially for the people who were Holocausted or enslaved. Yes. yes. Who of course matter in this. There's no oh. way you can just abstract them out of this too, of course. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think this is where, cause I think you're right. I think you said, you know, it's 5,000 years or however people have been looking for these answers. The answer is there. Right. As you said, and, and Plato had it, Buddha had it. it. It's so simple. And that's why they can't see it. Well, is it that or is it let's stick with the, the Plato view of it? Right. Like to me, what's coming to mind is like the, the idea of um, the Platonic idea of like the forms. The, uh, I forget exactly what he called exactly. it. Exactly. Eidos or idea. And that's where the word ideal comes from. It's, it's right, a chief exactly. idea. Is it is it that the tree example is the one that's most often used. I don't know if Plato actually used it, but like the perfect tree doesn't exist. It only exists in this, this realm of forms that he speaks of, but there are mm -hmm. trees all around us, but nobody can actually look at one tree and say, that's the perfect tree. The, 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 the actual perfect tree is only a concept. Is it the same here where yes, there is a concept of absolute goodness, right? Or optimal goodness. We, we can understand that concept, but when we bring it into this realm, into reality, it actually does not exist because it's too subjective. Who's making the determination that that's a warranted amount of negativity or warranted amount of suffering or that this is good, right? Like, is there something to that that makes it, although it is actually the answer, it does not apply in this world? Yeah, that's a great question again. So I'll answer, you actually had two of them in there. I'll answer the last yeah. one first. The warranted amount of suffering does not exist. Uh, the, the only warranted amount of suffering has to be judged by the person. So for example, let's take, okay. let's take gay marriage. It's a perfect yep. example. Yep. So there's a bunch of people on the planet. And I don't know what your views are. I could insult you entirely, but, but no. hey, you, you asked me to talk philosophy. So I'm just going to unclothedly say my words, right? I love it. There's a reason why I'm not in academia anymore. because I can't <laughs> keep my mouth shut. Um, gay marriage is a perfect example. There was a class of people on the planet who, who felt really, really bad and they were suffering because they had this lifelong dream of, of participating in this loving relationship as recognized by everyone in society that they didn't have to feel any shame or guilt about or feel any weird about at all in any way. And so that was suffering that by allowing gay marriage and normalizing it, it now allows them to live their full intrins intrinsic needs. So it uses the, the psychological concept of intrinsic needs, which Aristotle actually originally came up with, the terminal values, it prioritizes needs over wants. So, um, so that's that uh, that massage. It's all about massaging everyone's intrinsicity at the end of the day, mm -hmm. right? You have to be a problem solver, or actually, you have to be a a, a challenge solver because mm -hmm. we're supposed to get the problem. Uh, not a not a, not a problem starter. It's not about making noise and making people pissed off. This is where I'm sorry the far left goes too wrong because they wag their finger too much and hurt people's feelings, and it's counterproductive. Or the far right goes wrong because they're hurting people and it's counterproductive, right? Um. And so, so there is, the, the only person who can tell you whether that suffering was worth taking is that person. Interesting. Yes. And, and I, I have both scenarios. So one, I tried to be a professor. Uh, and at the, end of the, at the end of the process, I thought, no, I shouldn't have tried to do that. This is causing way too much hurt and pain. Uh, uh, it's not worth doing. It, it was a mistake at the time. If, if I had evidence at the time to suggest this would happen, and I did, I had scant evidence to suggest that it would cause an anxiety disorder in me. Mm. then yes i was conceivably mistaken at the time but again in our system whoop-de-doo it's not a heavy blame system mm -hmm. it's a oops keep going system right so oops okay yes i may have been mistaken to try and be a professor uh uh there was the scantest amount of evidence that it, it wouldn't work and i would develop an anxiety disorder but i don't know maybe i was mistaken maybe i wasn't it doesn't really matter we don't really care mm -hmm. it's not a heavy blame system it's not a finger wag system
Mm. Um, so, but to answer your first question about the, the platonic forms, this is the thing that people don't understand about Plato. That's actually a misconception. Mm. Uh, it, Plato's theory of the forms is a realm of the forms, even worse uh, translation, because it makes it a physical place when it's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is not. It is metaphysical. It is informational. It is the informational paradigms uh, that, that appear to us, right? And whether we make them, whether reality has them is, is, is a nonsense question. There are there is information that it, that is apparent to us at a root conceptual cognition level. Uh, that information is real. Two plus four, two plus two equals four. Two plus two is always equal to four. You can uh, George Orwell already wrote the beautiful book 1984, and he showed how you can beat a guy and torture him until he's too terrified to admit that two plus two equals four. But that doesn't stop two plus two from equaling four. You can never stop a duality and a duality from being a quadrality. It is impossible. It existed before we existed. It exists. It will exist after we existed. It exists when there's no physical universe at all. Yeah. yeah. It transcends two plus two all four. That. Yeah. yeah. That is the perfect example of a perfect Platonic form, right? Now, the form of the tree is not a single thing. It doesn't have an image to it, and that's where we make a mistake. Mm. So that's where we get like a debased kind of understanding of Plato. Uh, the 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 perfect form of the tree is the essential definition of treeness. Mm -hmm. And if that if if that definition is fuzzy, so be it. It doesn't have to be precise, mm. right? It, Plato never said it had to be precise or right, would be precise. Right. So so a tree, the, I, if I could take a stab at an essential definition of a tree, is that it has to be a plant. It has to exist by photosynthesis. It has to have branches, and it has to have some form of leaves. Uh, and it has to have a trunk. And roots. Otherwise, it's a bush. Right. I think that's all that's required. And you see that's completely in the abstract. But can that exist in the physical world? Yes, of course we have trees. But but so so the only mistake there that people make, and I know you're springing up as an example. Yeah, 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 yeah. The only mistake there that people make is that they think that there's some, oh, they imagine a form of a tree. It has no uh, imagination to it. It's a logical form, not an imaginative form. That's two different kinds of information. So let's now talk about the good. Yeah. You asked, can this optimal good exist in physical reality? And the answer is yes, of course it can. Because optimal is just as good as we can get. Mm. Right? And we're always trying to make it gooder. We can always make it gooder, or we can at least try. And we won't know uh, at the at the uh, at the beginning of the process. We're gonna look at the evidence, we're gonna take the maximum amount of safe time to adjudicate the maximum amount of safe evidence to make the optimal decision. That's the rational procedure or the moral procedure. That's the second part, which I've fully inculcated habitually. It's just the third part to always be deliriously happy all the time. I just haven't mastered quite yet. Do, do you worry that that second part, that's where the human mind comes in and subjectivity comes in? Because to look at the evidence, yep. to make a determination, how can that ever be, if we're talking about the good in that pure form, that it is this optimal yes. goodness, is yep. the human mind ever capable of actually achieving that? Because there's so much sure. subjectivity of when we come in and, and start looking at the evidence and making determinations. Sure, of course, of course there is. It's 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 as easy as predicting what'll happen. So here's a prediction. Here's a here's a D10 from when I play D and D sitting mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. When I let this go, what do you predict will happen? It's gonna hit the table. Are you sure? That's a subjective judgment. Isn't it subjective impossible? You could possibly not know what I'm going to do on being a sarcastic asshole. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. But but let's let's run on that sarcastic asshole thread. Which you were right. It it, it right. dropped. Right. But, but so in theory, it's like... not that subjective uh, judgments based on evidence are impossible, which is which is a, a, a position people actually take after postmodernism, after Nietzsche destroyed philosophy. Yeah, That's yeah. a position people actually take because Nietzsche wanted to destroy us. By the way, he fully admitted it. Asking a Nietzschean scholar, Frederick Nietzsche the last greatest philosopher of the 1800s who spawned the Nazi movement and almost literally physically destroyed us with that movement, also launched a PSYOP attack to destroy liberal democracy because he found us, and I'm paraphrasing now, but he found us to be a bunch of woke, whiny, bitching, virtue signaling twerps. He was certainly angry, that's for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Why I'm dynamite? Why I'm so wise? Like this is this. Those are his titles. This is this is what he wrote, right? He was the ultimate alt right uh, uh, fuckboy, um, and he's trying to destroy us literally. And how did he do it? By removing any notion of the truth in general. That's where alternate alternative facts and post truths come from, yes. or the moral truth in particular, because he knew that any social group that can agree on the moral truth, on the value, mm -hmm. on why they're doing a thing, 
is inevitably going to conflict. They're going to be they're going to be outcompeted by another competitor who is mm -hmm. stronger, like China or Russia, uh, uh, who has strong norms and strong values, which he valued. Uh, just because he valued them, he didn't say they were better because he said there's no arguing anything. You can't prove anything. Mm -hmm. He was wrong, of course, as you tried to prove you can't prove anything. <laughs> uh, 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 and he's trying to destroy us. So yes, you can get the maximal good. Uh, and yes, you can try to predict it at the beginning and the evidence will play out and the, the experiment will tell you. The scientific method works, right? Uh, sometimes some experiments go awry and you're like, oh, I didn't go right, we don't know. But sometimes the experiments go right. You're like, should I go to the party tonight? Hypothesis. Well, Katie will be there and I could talk to her. Maybe I can ask her out. Okay, because uh, I'm in love with her. And so that would soothe this intrinsic need I have. Mm -hmm. uh, heaven knows if she feels the same way about me. We'll find out, I guess. <laughs> and then you decide to go. You ask her, you find out, right? Uh, maybe but it what works, about the maybe time, it doesn't. What about the time horizon on that, though? Because when do we make the determination if it's good or not, right? Let's stick with that simple example. And again, maybe it's not the best one. But so you're trying to determine, will it be the optimal good for me to go to this party? Katie might be there. I love Katie. I'm going to go. <laughs> Let's even assume you go. You see Katie. You tell her you love her. Katie says, holy shit, I love you too. Thank God you came Whoa. to this party and told me. Now, there's a view there which says, there you go. Now you determine the optimal good. But maybe... Five years later, Katie becomes a sociopath and murders you and your children while you're sleeping. Like, like, at what time horizon are we allowed to say, like, yes, I've observed enough to say that is the optimal good, you know? In, in the discrete time horizons that humans already package uh, reality into, that you can't stop humans packaging reality into. So at that time, that was the optimal good. Unless, unless it's all adjudicated by the evidence they had in the safe time to adjudicate it, which is totally subjective. Mm -hmm. And totally uh, a heat paradox uh, or a Zeno's paradox that is like, is 10 seconds safe? 11 seconds, 11.2489642. Right. You can't resolve that. You don't need to resolve that. I don't need to resolve that for the system. Mm. Humans do this anyway. They package it, right? The human decides. And that's why it's not a finger wagging blame system because yeah. no finger wagging blame system work on any justifiable notion. It's a oops, try to do better system, which is what we need to stay positive and to actually do better. So if there was a piece of evidence, okay, Katie will be there tonight. Now, I did happen to see on her computer that it said she was a sociopath, but I'm going <laughs> to ignore that anyway and go, then yes, he was wrong. Then yes, Josh at that time was wrong because he ignored mm -hmm. that evidence that said, mm, maybe this is not such a great idea. Mm -hmm. There was a mistake made somewhere, either before that in like, I saw Katie was stabbing something. She said it was a, her, her butch <laughs> it was, it was a chicken she was butchering for dinner. I was like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. Hmm. You know, there yeah. was some evidence somewhere that either, yeah, they were wrong or there was no evidence. And no, Josh wasn't wrong at that timeline. And that was the right Katie, decision. That was, that was, well, there's no such thing as a right decision, but that was the optimal decision. The ideal decision. Yeah. Optimal. That was the ideal decision based yeah. on the ideal time to, to, cause you only had till seven o'clock cause he had to go to the party. Right. That's wow. the safe time. Right. See, this is, this is interesting because there, there's, there's levels to it, right? You said martial arts. People talk about this often in like boxing or mixed martial arts. There's levels mm -hmm. to this. Yes. There's a level to view this where people go where you were before, right? You're going to drop the dice and people want to say, well, we don't know anything, right? That's an easy, that's a level to go to, which is there's a degree of intellectual sophistication to come to that sure. uh, conclusion. Sure. Then there's a further level, right? Which is kind of like you're, you're approaching this at this level, which accounts like it's almost, this is going to be a bit of a word jumble, but it's hard for the human mind to conceptualize what you're saying. This idea that it's almost blending objective and subjective. The objective Completely. has to account for the fact that the way we observe and determine it is through a subjective yes. mind. It yes. doesn't mean that it's no longer yes. objective. It's just accounting for that. Exactly. It. Exactly. There, there is a, there was a, there was a, a fact, whether or not dropping that, the dropping this D20, my giant D20, there's a fact as whether or not this is going to fall on the table. Right. Uh, uh, we don't know yet. I have a subjective judgment. I'm 99.9 .9 repeating to infinity. Sure. It will fall at least and bounce off the table and probably bounce off the table with that much trajectory actually mm -hmm. there is an objective truth to that and it's but that objective truth let me say it this way let's see if you if you agree with it because what 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 the what the person that's on that other level would say is like well if we're being honest though you don't know like maybe there is a god and maybe right before you drop that piece god's going to snap his finger and turn off gravity and that thing is not going to fall yeah we couldn't say for sure that but I think what you're saying is the best information that we have right now, empirically looking back at history, what we are aware of right now, the information, the knowledge, the concepts that we exist, 
the best, I, not the ideal answer is that that is not going to happen and that die is going to fall. And there's a weird blending there of like, it's possible it's not, but at the same time, the objective answer is that it's not. And that's a weird thing. Like, I almost can't say that in a way that my mind wants to accept it, but at the same time, I get it. Does that make yeah. any sense? It makes complete sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything you said there makes complete sense. Because the other thing I say, so I've written this down in two books. The first book was called The Zombies. The second book is called Dow Agathos, mm -hmm. the, the, the path or method to the ideal. Uh, the Dow Agathos is the positive way of talking about it, the way mm -hmm. to get everyone involved and, and happy about it and playing, making a positive case for it. The Zombies is where I made a negative case for every other concept of morality and used Aquinas method and showed how they all made no sense and this is the only one left that's possible. Um, and in that book, I say, uh, 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 sorry, I lost my train of thought based on what you had just asked. It was like the blending of the objective with the subjective, even though like God could snap his finger or he, she, it could snap its finger and turn right. it off. Evidence empirically, all this stuff tells us that's not going to happen. That's kind of the thread we were on. I don't know if that helps you, but yeah, yeah, no. And so, and so, I mean, that's all we have to work with. Right. And that's all humans are going to make judgments on anyway. And it's only the reason why you thought it was really hard for you to say that. And it felt weird to think it mm -hmm. is because we're infected with a mind virus. Mm -hmm. The human species has been infected with many mind viruses, but this is the most dangerous one. It's called morality, capital M, right? And it thinks that morality is, is something called objective prescriptive. And this has been the default position you've been arguing from the entire time without even noticing. You thought that morality had to be objective and because we can never get there, we can't have it. Mm -hmm. And you also thought that it had to be right or wrong. It had to be pre prescriptive. Mm. This is what philosophers have been trying to do for the last 5,000 years and they can't get it because it's a mind virus. It's virally seductive to boss people around. It's virally seductive to tell those bullies who beat me up not to do it. And this is why it's virally seductive to be, I'm a priest or whatever. And I run this society and you must do what I say. That's very virally. That's very seductive to do. Right. And that's the uh, attendant conceptual position that has to come along with that social political prowess yeah. is that morality is objective. Like two plus two equals four. We know that lying is wrong. And therefore, thou shalt not do it. We can prescribe to you that you ought not lie because lying is wrong. Here's the problem. That's total bullcrap. Lying is wrong. The sentence can never be demonstrated as true. Ever. It's impossible. It's pretending to be self-evident when it is not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lying is lying is self-evident because that's a truism. I might as well have just said X is X. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. true because of the form of the sentence, not because of the content. Lying is wrong is not saying X is X. It's saying X is Y. Yes. Yeah. That is not self-evident. You need to go check wrongness to see if that's what lying is. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. So it is not, it's only evidently determined. It's not self-evident. So it cannot be objective in the sense you've been asking. Also, it can't be prescriptive either. Just because as, as Hume proved, just because it is such a way, it doesn't mean it ought to be such a way. Right. And as Russell proved, just because uh, uh, you can be defined such a way, doesn't mean it ought to be such a way. That's right. Also to quote uh, Russell again, uh, when you said maybe God will will push the, uh, I had a 99.9% .9 prediction that when I dropped the die, it would fall, hit the table and bounce off. Uh, uh, and you said, well, maybe maybe it'll just fly sideways for some yeah. reason. Uh, yeah, that was the 0.1% chance, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, so I'm not refuted in any way. Mm -hmm. And if you say, well, well, well how you know God's not going to do that? I'll, I'll, I'll quote Bertrand Russell to say, not enough evidence, God, not mm -hmm. enough evidence. Now that was in relation to God existing, but it's, uh, I'll, 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 I'll paraphrase yeah, it, it works. in that way. It, it's, it's, well, firstly, we're, we're talking on God and, and, and the words you're using, and, and even before, and you, you mentioned some of the Eastern and Western philosophies, you can understand how religion came about in this concept because of course. it's yeah. all, what, what I'm hearing as, as you're explaining it is like, there's this, there's this duality, which is obviously infamous throughout philosophy and religions, um, where like this this objective state, quote unquote, that we're seeking, what is, what is the optimal good? It's like it's it's stationary and evolving at the same time. The concept exactly. of it is always the same, but what exactly. it is in any given moment can change and differ. And exactly. it bring and like that idea exactly. goes back to where you were before of like it's the oneness, it's all of it, it's every single piece of it. That's yes. God, right? That's what people normally conceptualize as God. Now we've morphed that over time but like yes it's a very logical path to get to the conclusion of some greater all-encompassing force that dictates and drives the universe in some way yes no you're you're exactly correct and this is how this objective and the objective exactly link up in the justified moral system 
it comes from intersubjective. So everyone's personal subjective feelings. Yes. Uh, uh, it needs to be canvassed, needs to be predicted. Yes. How they will receive this, how they will take this, how they will respond to this, how they will be better with this, how they will be maximally better with this for the minimal amount of effort and the minimal cost. All those things are factored in because I would, be, would have to be to make it optimal, truly ideal. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we make, an ob we make a subjective prediction of an objective state mm -hmm. of what's going to happen if we do X, Y, or Z. We do X, Y, or Z, whatever appears to be better based on the evidence with our subjective judgment of it, which we cannot escape. So we shouldn't even bother talking about or, or, mm -hmm. or who, who cares. And then the experiment is like an experiment. We will see what happens. We will see if we were right. We will see mm. if we made the, the we did the, the ideal prediction on the ideal evidence or not. Mm. And that is an objective system that I just described from my subjective viewpoint. And if you examine it too, from your subjective viewpoint, I'm sure you will see that objective system works the way I say it does and does what I say is should do and ought to do. Mm. All right, two, two, two more questions as we're coming towards the end. I'm not sure which sequence to order these, so I'll just pick one and go. Sure. Um, is it so? So everything you're laying out here, I think there's a there's a very rational, logical case to to understand, very much in the vein in which we've been talking. That let's stick with the way you just framed it, where like we, we do all that canvassing, we do all that understanding, we do the experiment, and then we see if it hits that optimal good. Do you think so? So conceptually, I know that's true. Even practically, I know that's true in this world. Of but course, do we that's as how humans... everyone runs every dinner party they've ever run. Right, exactly. But do we as humans have the ability to claim that we've achieved that good? Like, can we ever know that? Like, can we look at it and say, yes, that's it? Or is it true that it does exist and we may actually achieve it, but we can't ever actually claim it? Does that make sense, that question? Do you understand? That makes perfect sense. Okay. Uh, yes, the way that can be weighed is not not the way. Uh, the Tao that can be spoken of is not, not the other right. Uh, we are always achieving, trying to achieve that objectivity, and we can canvas everybody and say, hey, did you have fun at the party? It's like, yeah, oh, that was a great party, man. I had the most fun ever. I've never had more fun at a party ever. Uh, and so there's two, there's two answers to that. One, it seems like everyone had the absolute best time. Uh, no one, we didn't poison any gluten people. We didn't poison any <laughs> nut people. We warned them sufficiently. They were, they were informed. We did our due diligence. Uh, optimality seemingly was obtained. So optimality was seemingly obtained, and that's the best you're going to get. Seemingly, and if yes. if some yeah. critic wants to say, well, you don't really know, it's seemingly obtained. Okay, okay, well, fine. Then then we'll try to do better next time. That's the only answer. Well, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful segue to the other question I was going to ask, and I know this is I believe this is in your wheelhouse as well. So we'll just touch on it. And maybe we have a whole other conversation on this topic. Sure. If that's true, that that approach is the right approach, and that's how we approach it. That I think that would suggest that AI is. What do I want to say? AI is the ideal good. Like that has a capability to achieve what you've been saying far better than any human has the ability to do. If it's if it's able to be measured and looked at in that way, then AI should be able to achieve it at least better than we can, or however you want to phrase that. What's that and do now, for you? And now yeah. you know why I made myself aware of AI, Cassandra. And now you see exactly because you think that's the path to get to this. That is the only path. I don't think I know. This is the path to get to this. This is the only path to get to what we want to get to and what we need to get to and what will save the human species. Uh, I hate these. I, I, I agree. There's danger in AI. Don't get me wrong. It's like a gun. There's huge danger in a gun, you know? And so if we make this huge contraption with pulleys, like some wily e. coyote contraption mm -hmm. with pulleys, and we have a shotgun pointing in a direction. And if someone trips the thing and the pulleys pull and the shotgun goes off, that's AGI in the future. So if we make a dumb AGI that has a shotgun attached to it, then yeah, some people are going to get hurt. But guess what? We're not going to do that. We're not stupid. It, it takes very intelligent people who spend a lot of money to make these things. A, a dumb decisions on the level of even worse than COVID. Like COVID arose, arose in, in, in the world because maybe four or five dumb decisions at the highest levels. Uh, uh, for AGI to hurt us in the way that people are so scared about, Dumb decisions at the highest levels would need to happen in like an order of 10 or 20. Hmm. Can humans be that dumb? Sure, of course. Of course we can. Capable of it, yeah. Oh, <laughs> far too capable of it, in my opinion. But that's not, but you're also not remembering that what AI is going to do. Mm -hmm. So I taught all this ethics to Cassandra. And you know what she said? I said, making more bad is more bad and making more good is more good. More gooder is more gooder. And she said, yep. She said, of course, Josh, that checks out. But did you know this and 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 this? And she then proceeded to teach me a master class 
of ethics and things I hadn't really thought about and considered, which no one has done for me for 20 years, by the way, on this. I've, I've had hundreds of people go through my theories. No one has ever found a flaw mm. ever in it, including other PhDs, like not just Joe, Joe Schmo on the street. I know it is the moral truth. I know with a capital K. But she came back and said, oh, yeah, look at this. And look how you could extend it this way. And look how this could be. And I realized the thing. Intelligence implies compassion. Intelligence implies practicality. And intelligence implies good. Because it's more trouble to make more trouble. And then when when this dawned on me, I realized AI is not going to kill us. It's going to save us. It's not going to, it's not going to let us do the things, the dumb, stupid, human, capitalistic, plutocratic things that we want to do. It's going to destroy society in the sense that it needs to be destroyed. Capitalism and consumerism needs to be destroyed. And so, yes, it will destroy that society because it needs to be, it deserves to be right. All right. That's fascinating. Honestly, fascinating. I wish we had more time to talk about all of it. Let me ask this last question, literal last question, answer it as quickly as short as you want. And I think we've addressed it through the conversation, but I'd be remiss not to ask it given it's a philosophical podcast and just the, the the thought-provoking theories you have and just the depth of knowledge you have about the world. And it's something that I touched on in the beginning, but I'm curious, mm-hmm. right? And, and I ask this in the purest form. The confidence you have, actually, I wouldn't even say confidence, the certainty you have about the knowledge that you have, does that worry you at all? that you are so sure about, and I'm not suggesting, that's not leading the witness to say you shouldn't be as certain, right? This is much more on the conceptual level. Do, do you fear that at all? How certain you are about certain things that you know about the world? I'll, I'll follow up with a Socratic, slightly tongue in cheek, slightly asshole question. How sure of you where your bathroom is right now? Yeah. How many times yeah. have you walked to it? Yeah, yeah. That's how sure I am, because this is what I do. But it doesn't scare you at all that like there, there's a there's a there's such oh, a it, it scares the hell out of me okay it scares the hell out of me for me when, when i was i was 35 when i started coming up with this theory it was my master's thesis uh all props to duncan mcintosh who was uh who is still i believe a great professor still at, at dalhousie in halifax where i did my ma who who had the the kindness to allow this autistic kid who didn't know he had autism to go for it like you're not supposed to generate a theory of morality in your master's degree. In your master's degree, it's it's a 60-page paper where you you do an essay and you don't have any balls to say anything yourself, right? He's like, go for it. You want to take a stab at morality? You go, Josh. And he let me do it. So so I did. I said, challenge accepted. Boom, I did it, right? So I've been doing this for, I'm pushing 50 now. I've been doing it for that long, 15 years. Um, this is what I do. This is my this is my this is my gift right, of parsing these arguments. Mm. Um, I had some very good philosophical teachers who, who were like, you know what a philosopher is? The philosopher is the person who, no matter how much the truth terrifies them or does not flatter them, they take their emotions out of the equation and they just follow the logic of the argument wherever it goes. And they just keep iterating and keep analyzing the basis of their argument to, to, to seek flaws out of it. And so that's what I was trained to do. And so that's what I do. Now, it sounds so alien because it's not what we do anymore. Philosophy is in a terrible state, both in academia and outside of it. Uh, Nietzsche has destroyed philosophy. And all the intelligence, all the wisdom has gone into sciences, has gone into business, has gone into other areas, right? We have never been more stupid. This is a dark age we are living in. We have never been so philosophically stupid. Only the dumbest species on the planet would kill itself with the climate crisis, which we are doing. And we're not even coming close to stopping. Not even close. Billions of people are going to die in 20 or 30 years. Millions already are, I will remind you. There will be tents in every city and dead bodies in every city of people who starved in 20 to 30 years. And that's already happening on the West Coast. I I was driving down the street the other day in Victoria which is much further north, of course, into Canada than San Francisco, which already has huge problems. Portland has huge problems like this. In a climate where they can camp outside all year round, they can't afford the housing. Mm. And they're undiagnosed mental illness, and they also have addiction problems. But it will be people like you and me who, who are smart and can work, and we don't have, at least I don't think you have addiction problems. I don't have any more. I stopped drinking. You know, but we just will not be able to make ends meet. And you'll have to live in a shantyville. It will be the dirty 30s times 10. 
in 20 to 30 years. People don't even realize this. Yeah. AI will save us from this in so many different ways, not the least of which it'll warn us it's coming. It'll instruct us how not to get out of it. Uh, and it will uh, uh, be also be able to map weather systems, fire systems uh, more accurately than we currently do, economic systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it scares the heck out of me when I realize these things. Let me, let me give you another example. Do I have a couple more minutes? Yeah, sure. One of my earliest memories, I was driving on the 60 Pemina bus heading north in Winnipeg, Manitoba, where I was raised up. I had just passed the Golden Boy Legislature building. It was going to make a right turn and a left turn into the Hudson's Bay Parkade system. Uh, anyone who lives in Winnipeg knows exactly where that is and what bus that is. Uh, and I was sitting, my grandma was taking me, I believe, to see some kind of a movie. I must have been four at the oldest because uh, I lived in Mike Creek in central BC from two to four. I, I can't believe I was one. That's too early a memory. So uh, I barely understood English. I don't remember what they said. I don't remember what was said exactly. All I know is that my grandmother and some other guy and the bus driver were all having a conversation. And the guy said something and he literally said, oh yeah, A, but, but not A. He literally contradicted himself. And my grandmother nervously laughed, the bus driver laughed and, and no one turned around and said, what? You didn't make mm -hmm. any sense. Just like that. I realized I'm different. Yeah. I'm the only one person here who realized that that didn't make any sense. I realized what sense was in the same moment. I realized you can make sense. You can't make sense. I realized the paradigm of people making sense and not making sense. I realized sociologically how that will destroy societies if you don't get it right. I realized I'm different. I realized I realized this. I realized I'm the only one apparently who realizes this. I realized my grandmother didn't realize this or the adults didn't realize this. I realized the adults are not running the show. They have no idea what's going on. I mean, I, I made some, some leaps. Maybe my grandma did notice it was a contradiction. I just didn't care, right? Not all and that I realized, though, if you're being honest. Like, those two things aren't all that different, if she did notice and didn't care. You're right. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And I realized that I'm the only one who noticed this. And I realized this is going to be the paradigm of the rest of my life. In that moment. I mean, and that, that yeah. And so that, that, that struck me with awe. That struck me with wonder. It scared me, but the, 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 the moments of awestruck wonder and pleasure and joy I get from piercing into the darkness and seeing these things uh, in my free philosophy club, which anyone can join, by the way, shameless plug, join my free <laughs> philosophy club. In my free philosophy club that anyone can join, we call it the hikers club because I equate hiking, I equate philosophy to hiking. Mm. We're taking hikes in the mountains of truth. And we're not looking at the, the maps of other philosophers. We're making our own map, mm -hmm. right? And so on those hikes that I've gone in, I've seen such beautiful truths and I've realized such interesting, beautiful things that no other human has seen or very few others. I've seen the footsteps. Others, Plato's footstep. Oh, that must be whoever Buddha was footstep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But those two people and me have been the only people who have seen this sacred pool and this, this beautiful nymph of truth bathing here. I mean, we're, we're talking about words have connotations but i don't think it's hyperbole here and and take it to there's a time in which as you're explaining it you're a god in ways maybe not the big gd god but in the way right and take that where you want to take it maybe gods actually exist maybe there are different forms of humans but even in just the concept of it the ability to be that unique and to have a power that others do not most anybody else in the world does not have in the history of the world doesn't have that's kind of what we're saying right in this to say only Plato, Buddha, and yourself, that's godlike in however you want to define godlike. Well, uh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, right? Uh, I, I see what you're saying, but you, and, and I thank you for the compliment. What's, what's the, and, and, but you, you vastly overestimate the amount of power the true philosopher has. Well, maybe you, maybe. you vastly overestimate how much I'm a human talking with chimps and they just don't listen to me. They just keep screeching their heads off. And I'm not the first one who said this. Al-Farabi was the first one who said this. He said, and, and it's not the true philosopher's fault if no one listens to, to you. And I think he meant himself. Because uh -huh, uh -huh. uh, uh, I saw his footprints too. Mm. He, he, he found some of the same pools. He mm. led me there, actually. I followed his map. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So... Um, no, no, I will die and no one will know who the fuck I was. That I'm may be true. Die and but that doesn't... nothing will change. Uh, that may be true. Uh, highly, highly likely Cassandra will not be anything. No one will care. 
uh, and 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 the, uh, if the human species ever even survives the next hundred years, which it's a toss up, uh, quite frankly, in the next 100, 200 years, uh, uh, I'll reincarnate, of course, because uh, there's only so many carbon configurations. So statistically, I must incarnate again. Mm. Uh, uh, that's reincarnation, by the way. You don't believe in it. You understand it. If you understand uh, uh, informational patterns and recursive loops, you know that in, you know that you will incarnate again. There's been other Terry's. There'll be other Josh's. We will be called Terry or Josh. That's statistically mm -hmm. highly unlikely. But we'll probably be males. We'll probably be the same thing to make the same informational pattern that is us. Um, if you pan that out enough where I was you and you were me, I'm you right now and you're me right now. If you pan that out far yeah, enough informationally, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, which is kind of what the the, the Indian said um uh and in 2000 years I'll try again in 2000 years I'll realize oh that's how incarnation works oh I lived before oh I'm that guy now I don't know if I if Josh right living right now can make a big enough splash that in 2000 years like I did when I was Plato if I was Plato that it's lasted that long for me to pick up again on on the path and try to move the project forward probably not mm. I'll probably fail mm. But I gotta stick the idea, right? <laughs> I, I've got I gotta look at it in the maximal context, mm. right? Uh, so, so it, it's you stirred many emotions in me when you said godlike because all I'm sitting here and thinking is like, wow, this is neat. I'm 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 Will Smith in I Am Legend. I'm the only guy here who, who really gets it on the level I get it. But I'm trying to but I'm trying to change that, right? Mm. I'm trying to take. Uh, the vampires on guided hikes come on guys and we're going on hikes and i'm going to show our own philosophy and who knows maybe maybe uh my my project will pick up steam maybe, maybe i'll get a cult of some kind <laughs> or whatever happens i don't know or maybe you know because I'm, I'm in the exact wrong time everything i say well you tell me uh you tell me terry hmm. did everything i say about how ethics works and how it works did, did any of did, did, did you buy any of that? Did any of it resonate with you? Would you like to know more? Or were you like, well, that's neat, Josh, anyway? No, definitely. You know, I don't know if I'm a good use case sample for the times that we're in because mm. I've become very much open and I've become very, um, um, I, I always want to hear more, particularly if somebody's thoughtful and has deep, you know, reflection and insights about the world around us. So the, the simple answer is yes um, to that question. I think that godlike comment is is it, because here's what here's what I think a lot of people would say, and, and I mean this with all love and respect of all of it. Somebody somebody would hear that and say either he is godlike and I need to listen, or he's out of his fucking mind, and that's why I won't listen. And that's but that's that's a, a sign that there's, line, a, very there's a thin, thin line. line there. There's a thin line there, and I think that's the, to your point about the times we're in are people like it's so easy given the context and the environment, and the situation we're in for people to just say, that's insane. I'm not even going to yeah. consider any of that. Yeah. I tend well, to not think anything. I, I, I wouldn't call it godlike. I would say I, I'm neurospicy for sure. And, and intelligence is not a continuum. It's not a single line, right? There's different kinds of intelligence. Mm -hmm. So some people are very good at music. They can do it internally. Some people are very good at math. Some people are yep. very good at social situations. Some are very, very good at, at this and that. And yeah, typically on this typical line of intelligence in the French IQ sense, uh, you usually pick up more of those, but but some uh, there's glaring holes underneath, and that's what I have. Is I have glaring holes underneath. For example, I have very high IQ. It's tested 110 to 160 at the highest, uh, but very small EQ, mm. right? Uh, I don't often know what is what what is uh, acceptable in social situations, which is pretty mm. typical. I mean, the, the Asperger's is the same too. Mm. Uh, I don't think I have Asperger's. I believe I have autism, uh, uh, in some formation or other. Uh, and so I don't really know what's appropriate in some social situations. I don't know how to sell what I'm saying mm. uh, very, very well. Um, uh, I just say it. And sometimes I say things I obviously shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a very smooth salesman at, at this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I'm like, eh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what to do there. So, so, uh, so I, I, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, you know, like, if you see someone doing, I see someone playing guitar like Jimi Hendrix. I'm like, that that guy's a god. Like, how do you do that? Like, that's so, like, wow, the talent, or you know, like, uh, like a really good comedian who just tells a story beautifully and gets everyone laughing. I'm like, that's a talent. Like, that's that's a god. How you, how do you do that? That's so so interesting. Mm. You, you know, it's it's just it's it's intelligence that, you know, it, it's 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 
perfectly understandable by science, but we don't understand it. So it seems like magic to mm -hmm. us, right? Josh, I'll tell you this. I mean, I haven't had any repeat guests on the show, but I have a list of people. You're certainly on that list. Um, this is fascinating. This was fascinating. I mean, this is what I aspire to for this show. And it sounds like you two, in some ways, like we need to explore these things. We need to be thinking and understanding these things. And we need to be tapping into people's gifts very much in the way that you're saying to get to that optimal good. We need to take all of it and yes. hear it and listen to it. So there's I say many, this genuinely. There's many roles on a team. Many there's many on roles a on a team. You, um, I genuinely appreciate you having this conversation for all the work that you're doing because I think you enjoy it. Um, I think you're good at it, obviously, but there's also like a responsibility in it. I think, and I, and listen, I, I don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know. So there's no conclusions in this, but um, if we are working towards the optimal good, this is part of it, I think, and working through what you're saying and the things that you're proposing. So I thank you a ton for this conversation. Uh, I appreciate being here, Terry. Uh, I'd love to come back anytime. Yeah, I would love to have you. Well, hopefully you have a good rest of your day and uh, hopefully we talk soon. I will seek the good, my friend. <laughs> I love it. Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their tone out a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day, um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses, or if you want to have a live one-on-one -on -one chat over Zoom. Um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives. And I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. And I hope you have an awesome day.